The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. All right, well, let's uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll try to get beyond one description at a time. It's going to take us a while if we keep going this slow. But we also know that, uh, that the Lord is sovereign, so if we only get through one, then we're just going to assume that we needed that one that night a little more than normal. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant, love does not act unbecomingly does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we've been um, looking at 1 Corinthians 13 for some weeks now, and you remember that what Paul's doing is he's in the midst of a discussion on the purpose and the function of the gifts of the Spirit. And really his, uh, his focus is on unity. It's not on the gifts per se. It's on the unity that the Spirit who distributes the gifts as he pleases should bring to the body. So as he wraps up chapter 12... He tells them that they are to earnestly desire the greater gifts. You might well imagine that the Corinthians probably thought, well, we do. Of course, they thought the greatest gift was was tongues. Paul's actually going to give some principles in 1 Corinthians 14 that turns that perspective right on its head. But before he gets into the gifts of tongues and prophecy, he says, I'm going to show you still a more excellent way. And that more excellent way is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the way of love. So love is... um, there's a, there's a great uh, Latin phrase, which means um, without which nothing. Okay? Love is the without which nothing of the Christian life. Without love, there is no um, demonstration that we're Christ's disciples. Remember, Jesus says, this is how all men are going to know that you're my disciples. Love for one another. I was going to actually make a little joke, Jeff, but you ruined it. So Um, anyway, love is the badge of being a disciple of Jesus. Love is, I I would say, the primary fruit of the Spirit. It's It's, in a sense, the fountain of the fruit of the Spirit. And so... What the Corinthians need and what we need is to remember that in the midst of church life, regardless of what gifts you may or may not have and what gifts may or may not function or operate, the fact is is that love is the more excellent way. 
So Paul's gone through and he's talked in the first three verses, telling us, you know, if I had, if I had the greatest gifts on the planet and actually the greatest gifts, uh, you know, the greatest extraterrestrial gifts, don't have love, I'm nothing, right? Zero. It amounts to nothing. It profits me nothing. I am nothing without love. And then Paul begins to give this description. And in a sense, what he's doing in verses 4 to 7 is he's showing what love in action looks like, what it looks like to love one another. Uh, He's not giving us some sort of technical definition. He's giving us, in a sense, the demonstration of what love looks like. So we looked at love is patient, and then we looked at love is kind, and now we get to three negative characteristics, all right? He's going to tell us, quite importantly, three things love is not, okay? You, you do know that sometimes the best way to start to understand something is to understand what it is not, right? And so, Paul begins and he says, love is not jealous, okay? So, the word jealous is actually somewhat of a neutral word because you can translate it zealous. It's the same word, same exact word. In fact, there are plenty of places in the New Testament where this word, zelao, is positive. In fact, Paul says in Romans 12 that we're not to lag behind in zeal, but boil in spirit, right? So, so in that sense, zeal's good, right? You want to be zealous for the things of God. Um, in fact, you remember when Jesus uh, cleanses the temple in John 2, after he cleanses the temple, the disciples remember Psalm 69 and apply it to Jesus. Zeal for thy house has consumed me. Right? So Jesus manifests zeal as he cleanses the temple. The apostle, uh, of course, admonishes us to be zealous Uh, In fact, even in this very passage, he has told us to be zealous for the greater gifts. It's the same word, but depending on context. Okay, so let me just let me just tell you a little bit about how word fallacies work. Uh, Sometimes when we study our Bibles, uh, because we don't think about how words really work. We think somehow they're like they're these, these magical things, right? That words are not magical things, okay? Words are, uh, words are symbols that have a range of possible meanings. That's what a word is. Okay? And the amazing thing is you can put words together and make a sentence, and people usually understand what you're saying. Okay. Well... That's giving a lot, you know, taking a lot for granted there. You may not understand everything. I was just thinking about 
conversations with Ariel, and I don't think words work the same way between husbands and wives. So I hear her, and I think she's saying something different. But anyway, so that, 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 that beside, all right? Um, words, a, a word, by the way, doesn't just have one meaning. Okay? In fact, a word by itself doesn't have a meaning. Oh, but I looked that word up in the dictionary and I saw all these different meanings. Okay? What you saw in the dictionary are possible meanings depending on the word's context. Okay? Okay. Context determines meaning. Period. Okay. So you get this word, zelao, and... It could be positive, it could be negative, it all depends on context, right? And so here, when Paul says, so, so track with me, zealously desire the greater gifts, love is not, are you going to translate it the same way? Love is not zealous, no, because it's negative. So now we're going to figure out a word that is, in a sense, sort of the flip side. And so we say, love is not jealous. Okay. Now, is jealousy in and of itself an evil thing? Uh-uh. It is not. How do we know that jealousy in and of itself is not an evil thing? Yeah, God. Is. <laughs> By the way, uh, the, same, the same thing holds true in Hebrew. And the idea of zeal or jealousy, it, sometimes it's a fine line. So if God is jealous for his name, it means he has a zeal for his name. But it means he has some, there's something more, right? So is it... This is, this is a good illustration to show you how the lines can be kind of fine lines. Is it good for a husband to be jealous of his wife? Yes. Yes. Well, not jealous like, she got new shoes and I didn't, okay? Um, so... A husband can have a proper jealousy, okay, right? Because there is an exclusive relationship that could should not be transgressed by anybody, right? That's a proper jealousy. So when God is jealous for his people, okay, then that's actually a good thing. Right? When a husband is jealous for his wife, that's a good thing. But can that be a bad thing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. It can be, in other words, there's a, there's a line that can be crossed that uh, is uh, sinful. Right? So when we think of this word jealous, we have to think of it... it, it obviously in this context, in its strictly negative sense. Okay? There's nothing redeeming about 
the jealousy that love is not. Okay? This is, this is to uh, have envy towards somebody. In fact, sometimes you can translate the word jealousy with the word envy. The problem is, is there's another word in Greek that means envy as well that Paul uses. But understand this, there is a sense of jealousy that is, that is absolutely sinful. Okay? So I put these texts in the notes for you, but just, and, and, and pay attention to these, these verses. Romans 13, 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. And then notice, you see these in the notes there, not in strife and jealousy. So, not in strife and jealousy is um, the way in which we are not to conduct ourselves. 1 Corinthians 3.3, you're still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? So in other words, uh, the jealousy here that Paul's talking about is a jealousy that is uh, altogether too human in terms of fallenness. Okay. Second Corinthians 12.20, For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish and may be found by you not to be what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossips, uh, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Now, so far, we've looked at three texts. All three texts have joined together what two words? Strife. Strife and jealousy. Strife and jealousy go together. Galatians two, uh, 5.20. What's the context of Galatians 5.20? <laughs> yeah, the one right before, right? The deeds of the flesh. So the deeds of the flesh are obvious, right? And 520 says, in that list of the deeds of the flesh, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy. Notice again, strife and jealousy, man, brought together. Um, Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, right? Galatians 5.26, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Same word, okay? By the way, what is, what's the context of Galatians 5.26? 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then verse 26, right? So, so obviously, there is a sense where this uh, jealousy or strife is, uh, it, it's a manifestation of the fallen heart. It's a manifestation of our depravity. How do we know it's a manifestation of our depravity? Because Romans 1, right? Is, was jealousy in that list Sunday? Absolutely, absolutely. So here we have this, this uh, envious, jealous spirit. Uh, notice James 3. This is really good because um, it's a great text. If you have bitter jealousy, ooh, not just jealousy, 
bitter jealousy. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes experience, life experience, can expound the meaning of a scripture for us. You know what I mean? So you have jealousy, but then James says bitter jealousy. Have you ever seen bitter jealousy? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like jealousy on steroids. Okay. It's jealousy that is taken to the next degree. It's jealousy that is so consuming that, that it absolutely destroys all the relationships around that person. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. So the James 3 passage is obviously critically important. But what does James tie together with jealousy? Does it twice. Selfish ambition. So you have Paul who links together jealousy and strife. So um, are, are jealous people, okay, in the bad, the bad sense, are jealous people typically people who are contentious? Okay. Yeah. So the jealousy is, is that which uh, produces a strife in relationships. James ties together jealousy with selfish ambition is a person who is jealous, actually just selfishly ambitious. When we talk about jealousy, what are we talking about? We're talking, as as we mentioned Sunday, we're talking about that state of ill will towards somebody because of a presumed advantage. A state of ill will towards somebody because of a sense, maybe it's real, maybe it's perceived, of presumed advantage. So so if if that's what jealousy is, then then strife is going to be the manifestation of a jealous spirit, right? Um, But then also, why would selfish ambition be a manifestation of jealousy. Well, because if I perceive that person has a, an advantage and I want that advantage, I may be carnally and selfishly ambitious in trying to get that advantage. And how much am I going to care about the person that I perceive who has the advantage? So you start to see why Paul says love is not jealous. Jonathan Edwards says uh, envy may be defined a spirit of opposition to others' comparative happiness or to the happiness of others considered as compared with their own. So you have this... uh, so envy or jealousy is this oppositional spirit that actually looks at somebody else's happiness and that's what they want. 
and they're upset of the fact that that other person has that state of happiness that they don't have. Okay? Now, normally we think um, of jealousy and we think of the, um, you know, the... Um, the jealous boyfriend or the jealous husband that, you know, what were you talking to that guy for? Well, because we're at a restaurant and he's a waiter and I was giving him my order. Okay, right? Don't be talking to guys like that. I saw the way he was looking at you. Uh, Actually, he was looking at his pad and he was writing down the order. Oh, no, 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 what's going on? So, you know, that's what we think of when we think of jealousy. But you have to understand, jealousy is much is much more pervasive and much more insidious than just that. That's, that's like stupid jealousy, right? Jealousy is, jealousy is this really ugly sin. And Paul says that it is, it's contrary to Christian love. It's, it's in opposition to Christian love. And so when you, when you look at, uh, just in a sense, sort of a brief history of the Bible, you see these uh, these examples of jealousy that really, in a sense, illustrate for us the um, the ugliness of the sin. Okay. So think of um, Cain's jealousy of Abel. Is is Cain jealous of Abel? Oh, he absolutely was. Why was he jealous of Abel? Actually, really simple. Okay. God looked on favor with uh, at Abel's sacrifice, and he wasn't pleased with Cain's. And and so instead of instead of Cain seeking the Lord, Lord, what what should I have done better, right? which, of course, I think Hebrews 11 says that basically it was a matter of faith, all right? But, so Cain doesn't do that. What does he do? He stews. He got the approbation of the Lord, or he did not get the approbation of the Lord that his brother got. He wanted that. He wanted the approval, but he wanted the approval without actually the sacrifice. And so here he was, and he, he seethed. And the manifestation of his jealousy, which the Lord says, sin is crouching at your door. You better master it. Or it will control you. Wow. That's the power of jealousy. And so how does Cain's jealousy end up manifesting itself? Well, he becomes the first murderer in human history. Think about that. So poster child number one for jealousy, Cain. Well, you know, we could, we could do this all night, but uh, the, Joseph's brothers... Genesis 39, they were jealous of Joseph and hated him with a bitter hatred. Absolutely jealous. What did Joseph have that they wanted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, yeah not, I'm sure they thought the coat was cool, you know. 
um, Gore-Tex, right? I mean, it must have been a Gore-Tex, multicolored, long sleeve. It was a royal robe, so, but it was what it symbolized that was the, the driving force of their jealousy, which was the fact that Jacob had had his favorite, and Jacob had lavished his favor on Joseph, and the others didn't quite cut it. They wanted what Joseph had, which was his father's favor. How did their jealousy manifest itself? It it manifests itself in stages. Hatred and bitterness. Murderous heart. By the way, if it weren't for Reuben, they would have killed him. To understand that murder was in their heart as the, from the fruit of their jealousy. And then they sell them into slavery. Um, think of, um, uh, here's a, a less known one, but what about Haman's uh, jealousy of Mordecai? That's a good one, right? Right? <laughs> You might remember about 20 years ago, I preached through the book of Esther. And uh, I'm sure that those sermons all still resound in your mind. But um, Haman was jealous of Mordecai, even though Mordecai was a Jew. Right? And of course, what does, what does Haman's jealousy of Mordecai lead him to do? Plot his murder and build gallows to see him hung on. Now, of course, God's poetic justice, right? I mean, who couldn't love the book of Esther, right? I mean, that's just brilliant stuff. Um, what uh, What about Saul and David? Was Saul jealous of David? Yeah, Saul's jealous of David. Now, here's the funny thing is that, is that Saul is old enough to be David's father. Why is he jealous of David? I think it comes down to God's favor. He knows that the kingdom has been torn from him. And he knows that there is this one who is a man after God's heart who is going to have that kingdom. And it drives him crazy. Literally. Literally drives him crazy. What's the fruit of Saul's jealousy to David? Tries to kill him. Not just once. Okay? I mean, you're talking a murderous heart. This is, by the way, this is why... In our culture, we, we, we uh, euphemize it, right? We call it by a nicer name. We say, oh, crimes of passion. Actually, just uncontrolled jealousy, right? Uncontrolled jealousy. So jealousy is, is really an awful sin. And then, of course, you, know, you can't miss um, uh, the Jewish leader's jealousy of the Lord Jesus. I mean, Scripture actually says in the Gospels multiple times and in the book of Acts, 
talking about their jealousy. They were jealous of Jesus because Jesus had the ear and the heart of the crowds. Uh, They were jealous of the apostles because the apostles were hanging on their very words. And here are the religious leaders, and what do they want? They want the people. They want the loyalty. They don't care about the people, but they want the people's loyalty. They don't have it. And, of course, they're jealous of Jesus. And so this idea of jealousy is this burning, consuming sin that does two things. It quenches love, and it fuels hate. Jealousy is is the fuel of resentment and bitterness and hatred. And so the psalmist says, Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? Oh, that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? So envy or jealousy, by the way, this is, this, is, uh, this is such an ugly sin. You remember a few years ago, uh, Jerry Bridges wrote that book, Respectable Sins. You remember that? So respectable sins, that's sort of the, that's the, the category that we use of sins that we look at. Eh, you know, they're not that bad. Um, I wish Jerry Bridges would have lived long enough to write ugly sins right, or disrespectable sins or unrespectable sins because there are a lot of sins that nobody, that nobody thinks is okay. okay. Jealousy probably would be on that list. Okay. Nobody would probably think that somehow jealousy in all of its ugliness was a respectable sin. That, that, that's kind of an okay sin because jealousy is this consuming sin that that makes people do really, really bad things. But here's the amazing thing about jealousy. Is when it is there, we justify it so easily. Jealousy is not one of those things that, uh, that we admit to. This is how we admit to sins. I've, I've observed this in myself and other people. What we do is there are certain sins that we know we can't deny. Right? So we own them, but we own them in a way that somehow magnifies our sense of corporate solidarity with a fallen race. So pride, pride is my favorite example. Nobody in their right mind is going to say, I'm not proud. Because the minute that the person says, I'm not proud, well, what are you? I'm humble. I'm the most humble person that I know. Right? Well, okay. Well, that is, uh, that's what we would just simply call a self-contradicting statement. Okay? Right? So nobody can say, I'm not proud. Everybody say, well, you know, I, uh, I struggle with some pride. 
just like everybody else. That's safe. That's safe. I struggle with pride. Okay, well, first of all, that's a lie because we don't typically struggle with it. Okay? (laughs) All right? (laughs) That's, That's the funny way that we go about describing our sins. I really struggle with this. It's like, no, it owns you. I struggle with pride just like everybody else. Oh, okay. Well, nobody says... You know, I struggle with a little bit of jealousy, just like everybody else. Nobody says that. When jealousy rises up in the heart, we have this really incredibly creative ability to justify our jealousy by saying things like this. Let's say you're at work, okay? And um, you work harder than the guy next to you. You work a lot harder. And you're honest and you have integrity and you do the right things. And the guy next to you, you know, he gets there late and nobody knows and he leaves early and nobody knows and he steals other people's ideas and takes credit for it. And the guy, you know, and so then at the, uh, at the end of the day, he gets the promotion and you don't because he looks better than you do. Okay. There's an envy, right? It starts to rise up. And we justify the envy by saying, he doesn't deserve that. You, You understand that that may be true, but it's irrelevant. Or how about this? Let's, so, so let's go from, uh, from preaching to meddling. Um, and this is, I, I've, I've, I've actually observed this, witnessed this, heard this. Would you say a spouse in an unhappy marriage, jealous of other people, particularly in church, that seem to have a better marriage. And there's a sense of jealousy. I want a marriage like that. And that person doesn't deserve that marriage. They let their kids watch TV. They don't give their kids vitamins and supplements. They let their kids eat Taco Bell, they don't deserve that marriage. They watch movies. They don't even come to Wednesday nights. I deserve a marriage that's like that. They deserve my marriage. I deserve their marriage. Pure, unadulterated jealousy. Right? And it's all based on That person doesn't deserve what I want. 
they have it, I want it, and the way I justify this feeling is by just saying they don't deserve it. Now, there's the flip side to that, and that is I'm, a, I'm just as good as they are or I'm better than they are, and they don't deserve it, but I do. That's the, that is the straightforward implication. I deserve it. I deserve a happy marriage. I deserve good kids. You know what? I look at my kids. My kids are train wrecks. My kids, their faces are everywhere. Every post office in the United States. Their kids, they let them eat high fructose corn syrup. They didn't deserve kids like that. I deserve those kids. You understand it goes on and on and on and on. And, but, but the thing is, is that in the, ba- the, basic, the basic things of life, we can look at other people and we can they have an advantage. That, why, why do they have what I want when they don't deserve it and I do? think this is a problem for us? Well, I think that we can safely say that it's a problem that is far bigger than we would like to admit. There are all kinds of things to be jealous about in this life. You know, here you got the the older guy that's been around for a long time, and then you got the younger guy, and all the people like the younger guy, and they don't like the. I was I was thinking about this like as an as an example. So, so let's say that um, um, so Jason Jason has uh, submitted a, a proposal for a, a, a book idea, which I think is great. It's on the stuff he did in Sunday school called Digital Discernment. He probably wouldn't even want me to tell you that. That's, and I mean that seriously. He's a humble person. But here I am. I'm old. He's young. Older. He's younger. And um, thinking, you know, so what if, what if the publisher came and said, hey, we really like Jason's idea. We think your idea stinks. You see, the, 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 the way jealousy works is to start thinking, hey, I'm the guy with seniority. Hey, I'm the guy with experience. Hey, I'm the guy that's done this. I'm the guy that's done that. And then say, whippersnapper, right? Jealousy is this insidious sin that can very easily take over the heart and the mind. Okay? Now, let me just explain why love is not jealous. Okay? Let's say there's two, two fundamental things. First, <laughs> jealousy is a raging attack against the sovereignty of God. Understand, 
For you, by the way, in order to kill a sin, you have to see it for what it is. Jealousy is, first of all, a raging attack against the sovereignty of God. Because the minute that I say, that person has something that I want, and I don't have it, what I am doing is I am complaining against the God who granted them whatever they have. So let's go back to the marriage. If I'm like, I want my marriage to be like that. I want them to suffer like me. And so what I'm doing is I am raging against the sovereignty of God who has blessed that marriage in a way that he has not seen fit to bless mine. Plain and simple. A jealous spirit is a spirit that is, that is in defiance to the sovereignty of God. Jealousy is also, this is connected, absolutely contrary to the spirit of contentment. Paul says, I know what it is to be uh, in plenty, in abundance. I know what it is to be in want, in need. I am content no matter what state I am in. That's, That's contentment. By the way, contentment is is not just uh, resigning yourself to, well, I guess this is the lot in life that I have. Contentment is rooted in the sovereignty of God. What I have or what I don't have is rooted in a good God who has seen fit to give it or withhold it. So, so contentment says that I am I am satisfied with where God has me. That doesn't mean that I don't pray earnestly. That doesn't mean that I don't that I don't strive. So let's say let's say that I have this. The, I I let's say I have kids. I want I want those kids, but I got these kids. Contentment says, these are the kids God has given to me. Their kids grew up to be missionaries. Mine, mine aren't even serving the Lord. Oh, can I pray that God changes their hearts? Yeah, but I pray that God changes my kids' hearts not because I want my kids to be like their kids, but because I want my kids to glorify God. And so I can pray, I can wrestle, I can plead with God to do things in, in, in my kids' lives, but contentment is these are the kids that God has given me, and I'm, I'm satisfied with them. God in his sovereign purposes and his good will knew exactly what I needed and, oh, register this, he knew what they needed. Yeah, try to convince him of that. <laughs> We're the parents God knew you needed. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> that makes me laugh just thinking about it. Now, contentment just says, you know what? These are the kids God's given me. Praise the Lord. Those are the kids that God has given them. I rejoice for them. That's how you know that jealousy doesn't control your heart. Because the contrary spirit of jealousy or envy is rejoicing in the good, the blessings, and advantages of others. I hope, I hope that PNR accepts Jason's proposal and I hope it sells more books than I've ever dreamed of selling. All right? I do. My, I, I would be so happy about that. Okay? As long as I got to write the foreword, that would, that would make... <laughs> but, you know, so, but that's, that's how you know jealousy doesn't have a place in your heart is you just, Lord, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for them. Lord, I thank you that there are actually marriages that honor you and that are happy. I pray that for your honor and glory that my marriage may get better. Help me to be a better husband. Help me to be a better wife. But I'm happy for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Right? This, goes, this goes in so many different directions in life, doesn't it? Okay. Can, you be, can you be happy for your kids? Can you rejoice with your kids? What about that person that you don't really like all that much? Lord, that person that got the promotion that I should have got, I pray that for your name's sake, you would bring that person to yourself and they would honor and glorify you and the way that they work. This is, this is the subtlety of it, is that so many times we, we, we have... Um, ulterior motives in the way that we pray. God, bring that jerk to repentance so that he'll go and tell the boss that I'm actually the one that deserves the praise. (laughs) So, oh, okay. So sometimes, sometimes we pray for our kids in ways that are simply designed to make our lives easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and everybody's like, yeah. <laughs> I remember praying so hard that God would just save Alex. 
But there were so many days that I wanted God to save Alex so that I wouldn't have to battle day after day. Not really the best motive, is it? God, save him. Because I want him to know you. God, save him because as long as he's not saved and as long as he's not walking with you, he's not bringing you glory. And when you're not glorified, that hurts my heart. Jealousy can be an incredibly insidious thing. Love is not jealous. Well, the next one, love does not brag. We only have 12 minutes, but this will be easy because none of us brown here brag. (laughs) Well, we'll see how far we can get on love does not brag. So what Jonathan Edwards did in his uh, sermon series, by the way, is he dealt with love does not boast or brag and love is not proud. He dealt with those in one sermon, did Two in one sermon, and he called that a Christian spirit. It's a humble spirit. You can see why he does that. And so as we think about this, we go from jealousy. Boy, do you think that as Paul was was thinking about these, these categories, that there wasn't some sort of connection in his mind? Yeah, there's this, there's this background to the Corinthian church, right? Jealousy, envy. I want that gift. They don't deserve that gift. I deserve that gift, right? Ha ha, I've got that gift, right? I've got that gift and they don't. Paul now says, love does not brag. Now, you know, when we get to this whole, this whole issue of, of pride and humility, uh, my goodness, we really do need the Lord's help, don't we? Because I think, and I, I put this in the notes, this is, this is a, uh, I said this a long time ago, a few years ago, preaching on pride and humility. Pride is one of those insulated sins in our heart, Right? I mean, we do, we really do all we can do to kind of keep it insulated so that we don't have to deal with it because when we deal with it, it is, it is really, um, it's painful. If God were to peel back the veil that each one of us has. And the Holy Spirit were to say, here, I want to, just, I want to take 30 seconds and just show you how proud you really are. Just 30 seconds and I'll put, the, then I'll put your little self-justifying veil back on your face. Those 30 seconds would make us Look at ourselves in a way that would be changed forever. Never look at yourself the same again. So, when we think about 
pride, we think about this insulated sin that we, that, that we do a lot to kind of protect because pride is ego and ego is me. But then on the flip side, you've got humility. And of course, who in the world understands humility? We typically just look at humility as just some sort of self-effacing. If I just tell enough people that I'm a worm, then I'll pro- finally reach some status of humility. No, actually, you've taken pride in your own wormology. <laughs> we don't even, by, by the way, but you know, in, in, in the Greco-Roman world, you know that, that humility was never even seen to be in a list of virtues. Greco-Roman world did not look at humility as a virtue. It was, it was generally perceived to be a weakness. Right? So the idea of, of humility doesn't even really rank very high in our society, right? I mean, they don't have awards banquets for the most humble. Humility does not get anybody any recognition. So, as we deal with this, just pray God helps us. Okay? So, to brag or to boast is to, uh, to vaunt oneself, to, to be a windbag, to be praising oneself excessively, all right? Um, Gordon Fee says it suggests self-centered actions in which there's an inordinate desire to call attention to oneself, And then he says, it's impossible to boast and to love at the same time. Impossible to love and boast at the same time. So here are the Corinthians, and they are actually seeking status through their gifts. They must have been incredibly guilty of the idea of boasting all the time. Now, this is the interesting thing about boasting or bragging, is that this is another one of those sins that nobody says, uh, so what what, what do you struggle with? Well, you know what, I I just brag all the time. I've never heard anybody say that. What's your besetting sin? I'm a self-inflated windbag. Nobody says that. Here's the amazing thing about about bragging or boasting. (laughs) We rarely tolerate it in other people. Is this not true? And yet quite easily engage in it ourselves. Okay, so I don't like it when people, doesn't it drive you crazy, right? And of course, what do you do? You try to teach your kids not to brag, right? And you see them out there and they're like, my dad does this and I got that and that and that. And then you pull them aside and you go, you're going to stop bragging. That's bragging. Nobody likes a bragger. And then they're sitting there and you're having dinner with some friends and yeah, well, I got this raise at work, and yeah, I got voted the most popular, and I'm employee of the month, and you know, no, no, no. And the kids are sitting there scratching their head. So we don't like it in other people. But I'm going to tell you, there's a reason why we don't like it in other people. 
And the reason we don't like it in other people is not typically a noble reason. <laughs> yeah, it's too, it's too much competition. They're stealing my headlines. Right? So, <clears throat> love does not brag. Why? The braggart wants recognition. That's all the braggart wants. He wants recognition. The braggart is an egotist. And he lives in an egocentric world where he's the most important person in that world. And that, that's, that, that's what's... By the, have you ever even met anybody like this? <laughs> Some of you have the courage to point to yourself or refer to yourself. But you, you, you run into somebody like this once in a while and you're like, oh, that guy again. Can't stand that guy. All he talks about is how big that buck was that he shot. (laughs) Then he says, now how big was your buck? Yeah, yeah, I shot a forky, big deal. Oh, one time, I just, some of you remember Doug Bushhausen. Doug Bushhausen was, talk about Doug for a long time. Doug had got saved and, He's about 66 years old, 67. And he took Zach and me fishing um, up at the reservoir. And we're in Doug's little fishing boat. And Doug, Doug kind of prided himself on being a pretty good fisherman. Zach's about five years old. And for whatever reason, just maybe God's humor, maybe, Zach is reeling in fish like every six minutes. And every time he did, he would say, Mr. Doug, how many fish do you have? (laughs) One, Zach. I have five. I know, Zach. Reels in another one. Mr. Bushhausen. How many fish do you have? I'm like, Zach, you need to stop, okay? (laughs) Everybody knows you have more fish than Mr. Bushhausen and me. So just stop, right? The kid couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. Pulls in another one. Mr. Bushhausen, I know, I know, Zach. (laughs) And he's, you're a real pro. Zach, and if I'm in this boat with you much longer, I'm going to need pro Zach. <laughs> I thought it was incredibly clever. But nobody likes the braggart because it's just this constant reminder of how awesome they are. We hate it. My job's more important than yours. My kids are better than yours. My boat's better than yours. My athletic achievements are better than yours. My ministry's better than yours. My gifts are better than yours. And the braggart lives for praise and applause. That's all they live for. And in an egocentric world where God isn't central, people 
become unimportant. For the braggart, the people around him or her in their, in their life just simply become an audience, a means to an end. The braggart has to have people around so that they can say, look at me, praise me, tell me how good I am, how handsome I am, how talented I am. And when a person becomes consumed with that, that's the only thing that matters to them. And so... Charles Hodge puts it like this. He says, love does not seek to win admiration and applause. It's contrary to the spirit of Christian love. Christian love is, Christian love recoils from the idea of me continually being the center of every conversation and the hero of every story. close with this. This this struck me. This struck me about five, six years ago, maybe more. I had met um, Lance Quinn. Some of you remember Lance came and preached for us. Uh, Lance is one of these guys. He was uh, John MacArthur's assistant for a number of years pastored uh, Bible Church of Little Rock, um, was the president of, uh, of uh, ACBC, Biblical Counseling. Uh, Lance is uh, just wonderful guy, incredibly accomplished. And I see him at a conference, and he pulls me aside and he says, hey, how are you doing? We haven't had a chance to really talk much. And I said, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing great. It's, it's good to see you. And you know, we had talked a few times in the past, but he says, let's go sit down. Well, because he's well known, every second person that walks by wants to have a conversation with him. And he was polite to everybody, but kept them moving because he was talking to me. And it's not as if he was sitting down going, you know, I can't believe it. I'm sitting here with Brian Borgman. It's that he just simply loved me and wanted to hear what God was doing and how things were going. We sat there for 30 minutes and at every potential interruption, he politely warded off the interruption and got right back to talking to me. I thought to myself, how many times would it be 
so easy to walk into the room and to be that person that everybody recognizes, that everybody wants to talk to, and just to allow that to just inflate and inflate and inflate and just talk about me, 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 what I'm doing, where I've been, where I'm going. Love doesn't do that. Love says, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. That's what love does. Isn't it ironic that the braggart, once they're done talking about themselves, they usually get up and leave? (laughs) They're all done. They've run out of material, at least for the time being. Love doesn't brag. Why? Because it's just oriented towards another person. Considers other people more important than himself. So it isn't jealous because in love, it rejoices with other people for their advantages and their blessings. And it doesn't brag because it's for other people. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, we, we read this, we hear this, and we just cry out, Lord, help us. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just show us areas in our lives. Lord, maybe, maybe areas we've just been blinded to for, for such a long time. We pray that you'd give us insight and honesty with our own souls. We pray that you would help us to grow. Lord, help us to put to death the jealousy and the boasting that resides in our own hearts. We pray that you would conform us more and more to the image of Christ by the love of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.